From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Wednesday, October 21st, 2020, with Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax, and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet. And good afternoon. This is Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, so that means it's time for the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Um, I am fine. I'm a little road weary from coming back from vacation, and I am at home, zooming in here today on quarantine. <laughs> We're all quite familiar with that. Yeah, I just uh, I was traveling. We drove so that we weren't uh, exposed to an airplane, but still, I felt like had enough interactions with strangely masked individuals or various degrees of masked individuals at gas stations across the country as much as we tried to stay away from folks. Um, Yeah, it's a big country, and there's a lot of opinions about masking out there, and I just feel like to be safe, I'm going to just stay right at home. My family and I are just going to stay home until we're through a quarantine. It's probably wise. I'm not sure that meets that's required by... Um, current guidelines, but it certainly is a good idea. Um, but yes, there are a lot of opinions about masking, aren't there? It's so strange. I wonder where those strange opinions have originated. I mean, we went through a dozen states, and whenever we went into, you know, the gas station to pay for gas or to get snacks or whatever, people were talking about it. I had uh, unmasked cashiers tell me, uh, you know, that masks don't work. I had masked cashiers tell me that masks don't work and this one in particular in utah told me that you know masks don't work because four of their employees had already gotten the the virus you know uh that i said well they do work (laughs) you know i don't know i don't know what's going on with their employees but that i left very quickly i mean almost at a run to get to get out of there but um you know it was it was wild depending on where we were you know, but everybody had an opinion about it. And, and there were there were rebels in every environment, like people without masks on or people with their noses hanging out. But the, there were people unabashedly with no masks on in every place that that we found ourselves across the country. So and it, of course, you're exactly right. It's because the messaging coming from the top is so convoluted and so wrong that people aren't able to figure out the safe thing to do to protect themselves and other people because the president is telling them that masks don't work and that masks make you sick. Well, that so. is that is problematic and you know, at this point after what, 8 months now, we're all armchair epidemiologists, public health experts, um, which, you know, leads to a wild divergence of views. I don't know if you have seen this Great Barrington Declaration funded by the Koch brothers, um, arguing that we should just open things back up, um, which is, 
you know, obviously uh, not what we should do. It could lead to exceedingly high um, excess mortality. But they had a seat um, in the White House and were able to present their views directly to our Secretary of Health. So, you know, it's it's not just the person running the AMPM in Provo, Utah, who has odd odd views on uh, masking. Right. Well, since I was out in surge land, it sounds like uh, nationally things are not going well, but locally in Mendocino, things are looking pretty good. Do you want to do? Do you want to catch me up on the numbers? Sure. Actually, yes. So things have been fairly quiet in the week that you've been gone. Um, since Monday's show, uh, we've we've only added eight more cases. So we're now at 1,111 cases. Uh, we have just short of 30,000 tests that have been sent out of this county. Uh, 1,263 of those are pending. No new deaths. Um, I think actually no new deaths since you left. We're still at 21. Hospital utilization is still quite low. I think there are only two people in the hospitals in the county. Um, but that being said, our hospitals are quite full, not with COVID, but just full in general. So, you know, that's that's not unusual, but it tells us um, what a thin margin we have. Um, and so when flu season gets here and when influenza finally resurges here, uh, we're going to be we're going to potentially be in the weeds again um, or in in a way that we actually have avoided throughout this entire pandemic. The numbers that we're tracking in terms of the tiered system were at 5.29 cases uh, per day per 100,000 people. So that's enough to bring us down a tier. And the positivity rate is 3.7%, also enough uh, to drop us. Uh, but there is a lag period, so we're still holding at the tier number one, the purple tier. We're still in the purple. Yep, still in the purple. California is slightly increasing, not as fast as the rest of the nation. We're at about a 5% seven-day rolling average. Um, the last 24 hours, we've added 4,400 cases uh, in the state of California. Um, that rate of increase, that 5% rate of increase, is not as great as the national average. Uh, our seven-day national rolling average is 60,000 cases a day. So we're really sort of back up into the late July, um, early August um, peak type of levels uh, and really showing no evidence of that flattening at all. And several areas of the country are just getting absolutely devastated um, again, or really actually for the first time, most of them. But what causes me concern is I'm afraid we are kind of back where we were back in March when we saw New York um, and the New York area get devastated and then that uh, quickly was followed by states in the south um, and we here in California really mostly avoided kind of that overwhelming um, increase in cases um, not, not that we've entirely avoided it but I'm afraid and a lot of people are gravely concerned that as we roll into the fall and flu gets here and weather finally does turn we're going to catch up with this national trend hopefully I'm wrong um, but that's that is certainly a concern. And when I look at our hospital, and I, when I'm working at the hospital and the house supervisor nurse comes and tells me we have exactly one bed in the hospital available for admission, um, which is pretty much what happened every night I worked all weekend, you know, that, that doesn't bode well for a month from now when, you know, the rains hit and we go inside and there's still confusion about the need for masking, et cetera. 
So I think we we've got it pretty good head on our shoulders here, don't you think? Locally, people are really consistently masking up at this point. I mean, it was nice to be back. I have to say, I think I think we're pretty good. I mean, I it's not entirely consistent. I haven't traveled throughout the county, but I certainly have been places of business in Ukiah where the norm is not masked. Um, and that's, that's mm. even at this point in the pandemic, that's really quite concerning. Uh, and as we go back indoors, I just, you know, I, I think that's going to lead to further hotspots, further number of cases. And what also causes concern, and maybe it's not so applicable here because we have a bit more of a rural setting, uh, but what causes concern is this general sense of fatigue that we all have and just willingness to walk away from all of this. When, you know, we, you know, Azar said we only need a few more weeks. Really what we need is about another four months. Um, but, you know, our treatment as, you know, as healthcare providers hasn't evolved all that much from March. It, you know, we're better at it. Um, we're better at not doing things. You know, physicians were inadvertently, you know, leading to a large number of uh, unnecessary COVID deaths because we are managing it wrong. But we still don't have any good drugs. You know, the one, one of the two drugs that we have actually been using in this county um, a WHO study, which was a lousy study, but it really showed no benefit to this this antiviral drug called remdesivir, hmm. um, and so that leads that leaves us, you know, functionally just with this steroid, which works from what we can tell, and then increased knowledge in terms of how to manage fluids and ventilators and that sort of thing, which leads to much better outcomes. But it's still not it's certainly not a silver bullet, um, and this is still a disease that's not just striking the elderly um but you know 20 percent of the people who have died from this disease have been under the age of 60 so this this notion that we need to open things up and get back to normal because we're sick of it is fairly persuasive um for some component of the population i'm afraid and it doesn't require a very large fraction of the population to to attached to that notion um, and really give this uh, virus more fuel to burn. Well, there was some news that I heard uh, across the country about your brother this week. It was yesterday, actually, that um, San Francisco is going to the yellow. Yes. Yes. Can you tell, tell San Francisco what that means? <laughs> well, you know, San Francisco um, and actually the surrounding counties um, have done a remarkably good job of um, staying on message um, and really holding the line in terms of what is tolerated. And that has that has resulted in very low number of cases with the capacity to engage in aggressive contact tracing and isolation and quarantine. Uh, and so their case numbers are quite low. Yeah, my brother, frankly, has mixed feelings about the fact that we've moved to yellow because moving to any level of loosening things up while we still don't have a vaccine or while we still don't have, um, you know, some sort of cure for this or really a very strong treatment uh, that's widely, uh, widely available um, is going to lead to more cases. And so they are at yellow now. He and I are quite concerned that three, four weeks from now, they're going to be seeing a surge, perhaps unlike any that they have seen yet. Um, and, you know, obviously they're going to be monitoring that very closely. But 
this is a fairly insidious virus, and it gets into places before we realize it. We only need to look at New York to understand how it can explode before the testing can catch up to it. Um, and so it's it's an ongoing concern. You know, I am deeply ambivalent about the possibility of this county moving from purple, what is it, to red. Um, yeah. It, particularly in the light of the change in the season and the arrival of flu season. I just, I'm afraid that's going to lead to a transitory um, loosening, which is going to then require rapid reversal. Um, and so, you know, whether it's better just to stay in purple um, until we get into flu season to see where we um, are at that point, you know, that's going to be Dr. Corrin's decision. But I, if I were a business owner or if I were a parent trying to figure out what to do in terms of schooling, I would plan on things not really changing in a functional way um, through, let's say, February. Um, that might be mm-hmm. when we start to see um, distribution of a vaccine and enough people vaccinated that it could actually lead to our being more comfortable loosening things up, even if we still have, what is it, four to five cases a day in the county. Well, that COVID fatigue uh, mixed with this kind of odd mixed messaging and the potential of opening things back up, it's just very, very tempting after all of these months. But I'll tell you, when we were driving through Nevada and we stopped to get a meal, it was shocking to walk into a restaurant and see people sitting there eating with their masks off. I mean, it was really scary we left. Yeah, walking into a restaurant in Nevada on I-80 is actually kind of scary even without a pandemic but go on that's true they were also smoking inside so you know the 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 excellent health decisions there we we just we left (laughs) but um oh one other thing that i thought that i noticed in the news this weekend was that um dr burks appears to have turned on dr atlas after he he tweeted out that masks don't work yeah well atlas is you know, he's he doesn't have a lot of expertise in this. He's just a political hack, um, and he has the president's ear, unfortunately. So I'm not surprised that uh, Dr. Burks has done that. I actually missed that news item. But, you know, she she has a long way to go before she regains significant credibility amongst the epidemiologists um, in the country. So I'm glad that she turned on him, but it it really, at this point, just leads to increased confusion coming from this administration. It's like palace intrigue, but it's not helping anybody really figure out what we really need to do to well, take care of ourselves. We know what we need to do. It's just that it's not being clearly stated. Anyway, there's 15 minutes of chit-chat, Alicia. Should we throw open the phone lines? Absolutely. So if you'd like to call in and ask a question of Dr. Colfax or, um, I don't know, there was a pretty intriguing hand-washing rant last show, uh, the number here is 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448, and we have our first caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I am calling um, as a preschool teacher, and we recently had a um, teacher test positive. And they closed down that room and sent all the kids home to quarantine. Um, However, so she tested positive on Tuesday. She was in the building on Monday. However, she was in a different room on Friday, and her Friday teachers are wondering how concerned that they should be. Uh, They were not. The, The room that she was in on Friday did not get quarantined. Right. So I guess the question that, 
so the first question, the threshold question, would be whether this teacher was symptomatic at all. And I presume since she was teaching on uh, Monday um, and certainly on Friday that she was not symptomatic. Is that correct? I believe she became symptomatic overnight on Monday and stayed home and got the test. On Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yeah, the test so, came positive on Tuesday. Yeah, so, you know, what we know, you know, the best evidence suggests that maybe 48 to 72 hours before onset of people who are going to become symptomatic, they may, they may be shedding virus. So the Friday teachers are probably okay since she didn't become symptomatic till Monday night, Monday evening, let's say. Um, that That's 72 hours at least from the... Um, you know, the time that she was in that classroom till she started to develop symptoms. So I, I don't think they have grave cause for concern um, in terms of contracting COVID from this unfortunate teacher. But your, your call and your experience or your school's experience really illustrates sort of the fraught nature of reopening schools. I mean, so now here, here's, I don't know the size of the kindergarten class, but suddenly parents are having to take care of, you know, kids at home for the next two weeks in a fairly unanticipated way. Um, and that's that's going to just sort of be the rolling process, you know, if we're going to try to keep schools open during this level of uh, disease test positivity. We're still running four to five percent, you know, three to four to five, six percent. And we're going to just unfortunately have, you know, school teachers are testing positive, kids who are testing positive. Um, and it's just a very fraught, difficult thing to do with this degree of positivity. Absolutely. And I have one follow-up question. I'll make it quick. Um, And I thank you for your time. My follow-up question is, they closed that specific room, Mm -hmm. um, and they sent those kids home. However, they're letting the siblings of the children that are in that room still come to school. Is that appropriate, or should those siblings also be quarantined? Yeah, I, you know, you're, it's, it really becomes... It becomes a question of comfort level uh, rather than hard and fast guidelines. I mean, the siblings of children or pupils of this teacher who was symptomatic, you know, a few hours after teaching class on Monday, as long as those children who are coming to school whose siblings were in the kindergarten class um, are, you know, being forthright about symptoms. I think that's reasonable. I don't know what sort of testing is available at the school, um, but it certainly would call for heightened testing of any of those children uh, coming to the school and increased surveillance within that entire school uh, for the next week. The problem still, remarkably, is we just don't have that much um, infrastructure in place to allow that aggressive of testing and you know follow up close contact tracing um, and monitoring that that we really need to sort of allow this to go forward um, in a contained way. So yeah, it's probably okay for those siblings to come to class um, in a roundabout sort of answer, but you know it has a risk as everything does right now. Um, you know the. The fortunate thing is, as we have said over and over again, is this illness doesn't really affect children too severely on the whole. Uh, You know, flu is actually a more dangerous illness to children, uh, particularly kindergarten age children, uh, than than COVID, uh, remarkably. The problem, and one of the reasons why this, you know, this notion of opening things up for low-risk people 
fails is children live with parents and parents live with extended families and extended families um, see other people and a lot of those people are at higher risk and there's really no structure in this country to um, isolate families from you know high risk and low risk members so it's it's problematic but it's it's probably okay you know in the context of the school having made the decision to be open you know in the first place Right. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for that call. Well, thank you so much. Hang in there. All right. Do we have another call? Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, I'm too oh. long-winded. They're dropping off. Let's try another one. Good afternoon, caller. Call. You are live on the air. Am I on the air? You, you are. You are live. Go for it. Okay. Um, wait a minute. Sorry. I'm getting away from my my radio. We do appreciate that. Okay. Um, my question is, down the line there, um, what color uh, tier do we need to be on for the Star Center swimming pool to open once again? Oh, goodness. That is a very specific question. Um, and yep. I, I, <laughs> I'm afraid I can't give you the... Absolute answer. I, I suspect it would be the next level down. I suspect it would be a red uh, tier type of um, really? institution. I'm not 100% certain of that because, as I said, it's a pretty specific question, and I'd have to review sort of what falls within each tiered level. Um, but I think it would be the next tier. Now, the question is whether you should go to the Star Center once it opens. Exactly right. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's an individual question that each of us would need to, um, need to make uh, depending on one's age and risk factors and alternative venues for exercise. And I say that having been to the Star Center with my children many times in the past. We have no open-air swimming pools in this area. I know, I know. I think what I would do would be to go to the pool and not go to the dressing rooms. Yeah, and I think, I mean, certainly the water in the pool is going to yeah. be fine. You're not going to contract COVID from that. And the doors are usually open to the outside. And it's and it's a very large, you know, very well ventilated room. So yeah. I, I I think that would be fine. I I certainly would minimize any time spent in changing rooms or dressing rooms or out I front think in the I lobby. I totally avoid that. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. but as to when and what we would need to achieve to allow that to be open, I I can double check. Um, but I I suspect it would be next year down. All right. Thanks for that call, caller. Do we have another call? All right. Let's take it. Uh, I should mention this is the local coronavirus update. And if you'd like to call in and join the conversation, it's 707-895-2448. And you're live on the air with Dr. Drew Colfax. Before, Go ahead, caller. Before we take that call, actually, Alicia, let's just mention before we run out of time that there is in the uh, Anderson Valley, there is uh, flu testing, drive through flu, if you will, uh, from four to six in the high school parking lot today. Uh, that's a one-time flu testing. They might try to schedule another one. But if you want to get, I'm sorry, I'm I'm thinking testing. It's, if you want to, if flu shots. flu shots, yes, flu vaccination, the needles, exactly. Yes, um, <laughs> come and get vaccinated for influenza before it gets here. It is perfect timing to get your flu shot. If you are one who is obsessed on hitting the sweet spot, this is it. All right. This is it, and it's coming up from four to six o'clock. 
this afternoon in just a half an hour now at the Anderson Valley High School parking lot. It's just a drive-through free flu shot event in Anderson Valley. And you don't have to be an Anderson Valley Health Center patient to uh, get, get your flu shot. So, all right, do we have another call? We do. All right, go ahead, call. You're live on the air. Uh, yes. Um, I heard the caller before that one in regards to the school teacher and the kids at school. Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm not sure, but I thought my understanding was that the potentiality for shedding symptoms, an asymptomatic carrier can be two to four days of being exposed to the virus, catching it, not showing any symptoms, and then actually testing positive with enough antibodies in their bloodstream. Yeah, it, the four-day um, sort of outlier, it's not, that's not, there's not persuasive evidence of that. It's possible, certainly, and on the average, it appears that most people may be shedding sort of biologically significant number of, uh, of the virus, uh, up to 48 to 72 hours, but up to 96 hours is probably a little further than is, um, you know, rationally uh, needed to be concerned about. So it's it's possible, but most yeah, of the data yeah. is pointing in toward country, about it. the CDC and uh, is plays it down a little less. In other countries, they're a little more stringent and strict about it um, well, in terms of exposure. <laughs> yeah, well, in other countries, they're much more sort of stringent and strict about everything regarding this virus, frankly. So, uh, you know, it, we, we tend to play pretty fast and loose um, around this virus when we are even using the best CDC guidelines. But in terms of practical risk um, to an individual, yeah, I, I I personally wouldn't think that a an exposure to somebody who became symptomatic 72 hours later is is likely to lead to transmission. I, I that there isn't a lot of great data to support that. All right, well, do we have another call? All right, let's take one last call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, how are we doing? Good. Go ahead. Um, I said a statement. Uh, uh, a big issue is the response time to, uh, say, a person or patient uh, knowing that they have. Uh, and my own personal experience, I didn't get uh, confirmation until two days before the uh, isolation uh, 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 or quarantine. So my quarantine was up uh, two days prior when I got it in the mail. So I had two weeks or a week and a half that I didn't even know that um, I uh, had the virus. And I think that's a pretty big concern to to be uh, aware of. Yeah, no, and that's your your call is broken up quite a bit. But I I think what you're talking, your experience was, uh, you know, symptomatic or emblematic of what we've been experiencing not quite as acutely in the last month but certainly up through the summer and through the higher numbers that we had in july and august uh which was the lengthy delay in getting the tests and then further delay in those test results being communicated to um the patient um and then further delay in 
um, the contact tracing um, and notification of those contacts. I mean, it was taking 10 days and, you know, 12 days before that whole sequence of events had played out. And in order to control a virus such as this, it really needs to happen within a 48 hours at the longest. Um, and several countries have been able to bring it down to three or four hours, if you can imagine that. So we have been extremely slow, um, underfunded, underdeveloped at getting these tests um, run, getting the results back, and getting the people notified, and getting the people into quarantine and isolation as necessary, which has led to sort of this ongoing, uncontrolled uh, pandemic in this country. I mean, it's it's really, it's multifactorial to be sure, but that aspect of our national experience has been a significant contributor to uh, the robust number of cases we've had in this country and the absurdly high number of fatalities that we've had. And I guess what you're saying is that this isn't inevitable, that, that other countries have handled it much better, and that uh, this, this isn't just the coronavirus, this is actually our country's handling of the coronavirus. Correct. It's not it's not inevitable that we would become, um, you know, the the country that has 20 percent of the mortality from this illness uh, with four percent of the world's population. I mean, that's that was not inevitable at all. That entirely reflects a completely incompetent response to this pandemic nationally, um, trickling all the way down to the local levels. And part of it certainly lies with this administration. Part of it lies with this incredibly broken health care system that we have in this country. Broken, but outrageously expensive, I might add. Um, and part of it lies with just the way we are fragmented um, and unable to process scientific advice from experts when it's, you know, it's in this cloud of misinformation and disinformation. So it's it's been a disaster from the get-go. We're getting a bit better at it, but, you know, we still have Dr. Atlas shrugging at us um, and telling us we should all just go back to normal, leading to at least an extra half million deaths in this country. Well, let's leave it with um, with this last thought. I, I think that because I know that anybody who's paying the slightest bit of attention to the national news uh, and the scale of the disaster that's happening in our country and, and just the the daily kind of chaos reporting about what's coming out of the White House. It's hard right now. I think there's a lot of overwhelm. And so can you just bring it down as we finish up for today's local coronavirus update? On the individual level, what should our best to-do list be for this week and this stage of the pandemic as we're moving into fall? Okay, so the, the main things to do in the next week or two are to get your flu shot, Continue to wear a mask and wash your hands. Minimize indoor unnecessary gatherings with people who are not in your living situation. And vote. Vote early. Vote often. Um, because we can't, we can't really continue to survive in this current uh, scenario too much longer, frankly. It's already led to an enormous number of deaths. I unfortunately do think that we are going to be in this... Uh, situation um you know until late winter i just you know it's not it's not like we're going to get suddenly there's going to be an approved vaccine and we're going to have eighty-five thousand people lined up with eighty-five thousand loaded um coronavirus vaccines that can be administered to everybody in this county it's not going to work like that i mean it's taken long enough just to get a pretty rudimentary um 
assay um, up and running in this county to give us uh, fast and accurate testing. And even that's still fairly, you know, discombobulated and disjointed. But people should also still put on their to-do list to get tested this week or next week, right? We need testing, um, both on an individual um basis people uh, you know people want to get a negative test uh, for what it's worth um, and public health certainly needs to keep the testing numbers high and so it's a it's a good community service it's good if you are in a environment or a work setting when you're in a contact with a lot of people so that kindergarten teacher who called in those people in that school um, family members who are sending their kids to that school and are asymptomatic would be, be people that I would strongly encourage to go get tested at least once this week and probably once again next week just to make certain that we are keeping a close tab on asymptomatic transmission through that through that type of a, a setting um, before it explodes and becomes much more deadly all right so uh, there's something that we can all do hunker down try to resist the fatigue just know that we're all in it together and we will be back with you on monday at three o'clock uh and this coming up friday we will hear from our local public health officer dr andy corin on the latest from mendocino county's public health response and the official numbers and all of that stuff but we'll be back with you dr colfax on Monday at three o'clock. Yes, I'm going to be working between now and then, so I will give you the latest uh, real-time update. Well, I, I watch um, cable news sometimes, and they have these like phone videos of frontline healthcare workers and all of these hotspots. Um, and I hope that we never see you doing one of these 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 videos about how things are going at your hospital it's nice to have you come in and say yeah things are pretty quiet coronavirus wise i i i I have no desire to be working in a coronavirus hotspot. i just it's just not good and you look at some of these rural counties rural states i mean north dakota has given up on contact tracing they are so overwhelmed not to draw out our show too much but they are so overwhelmed that they are unable to do contact tracing hospitals are way beyond capacity they're having to ship people out of state and the surrounding states are actually starting to approach capacity as well. So it can get really ugly really fast. And as I said, I think on my first show back in February, our healthcare margins are mighty thin in this county. All right. Well, let's leave it at that. Sounds good. <laughs> the see you Monday. Of Christmas future. Yes. <laughs> I will see you on Monday. And thanks so much for being here with us. And thanks to everybody for listening and for calling in. And you can also find this show as a podcast at um, Apple Podcasts and at Spotify. Uh, and here on KZYX Live, 3 to 3.30, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm Alicia Bales uh, with Dr. Drew Colfax. And thanks, Eddie, for engineering while I'm in quarantine. And we will see you all on Friday. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.